Welcome to the Bike Pack Adventures Podcast. I am your host, Chris Panaski. This podcast was created so as to share the stories of bike tours, bike packers, and endurance cyclists from around the world as they embark on amazing adventures. Through their stories, you'll be able to learn the ins and outs of bike travel. You'll get insight into various countries and cultures around the world, hear fantastic stories of their journeys. Through both mine and my guests' experiences, you'll learn about the pros and cons of specific gear, bikes, and bike setups. If you're new to bike travel and considering going on an adventure, I hope the podcast provides you with that extra little bit of motivation to make it happen. I want to thank Panorama Cycles, Redshift Sports, Restrap, Race Day Fuel, and Brockton Cyclery for supporting Bike Pack Adventures and helping to keep me on the bike. Check out the show notes for more information about these amazing companies. Thanks and keep on pedaling. In today's episode, I'm interviewing a young Brit named Ben Leo Hollis. He decided to take a gap year before going to university to cycle from Leicester, UK, all the way to Australia. I came across him on Instagram and was immediately drawn in by his photography. And then as I started to read into him, I realized he's really involved with different charities and for good reason. So please tune in and I hope you enjoy. Ben, welcome to the show. Hello. Thanks for having me. So you're now in Malaysia. You've cycled from Leicester, UK, right? That is right. I've been going for eight months on the road since I left now. Oh, that's, so. that's pretty impressive. Eight months to cross through the stands and all the way to Malaysia. So it's a good, it's a good timeline. Fair bit of time. So because I have, um, I'll have one year to do the trip, then um, total from Leicester to my goal of Brisbane in Australia. Then I've, I've taken one flight. So the, the stands have to wait till another year. I'll hopefully go back because when I got there, then it was... It was already winter there, oh, okay. so um, so I flew from Turkey to India over Syria and Pakistan, and hopefully I'll get to go back and do the legendary Pamir Highway in the future. Nice. But I haven't had haven't had bad going. I think it's country twenty seven is Malaysia so far that I crossed into last night, and yeah, it's looking good so oh, far. Excellent. Yeah, I lived in Malaysia for seven years, so I know the country well. It's a, it's a really yeah. great place to travel. Might be a little rougher now because it's Ramadan, so it can be sometimes can be iffy to find food, especially in the villages. But uh, yeah, good luck with that. Yeah, well, so far we're we're loving the food we got last night. It's just that the Indian influence is like great. It's really good. The, yeah, the uh, the Malaysian Indian food is amazing, hands down. My favorite part of Malaysian food, but to each their own. Definitely. That is definitely my favorite. And living here in Cambodia now, it's one thing I miss a lot. Let me ask you, how did this trip come about? I mean, you're 18, you should probably be in university getting laid or something right now. <laughs> well, um, so I so I set out yeah, at age 18, like you said, having just finished high school. I'd just done my final exams in the UK. And uh, yeah, a few weeks after that, I set off. And uh, so this is one year of traveling, but I will be going to university. So I got, I got my place uh, before I left. Okay. And then I decided to do this, and I just wrote to them and said, "Hey, can I come in like in a, a year later instead? Because there's this thing I kind of want to do." And uh, yeah, pe- people are like, "You do? You oh, there's a Malaysian guy coming to coming to ask me if we're all okay <laughs> at the minute." But um, yeah, I think people say, "Oh, you're so young doing it. Like, how how come you're doing it so young?" But I think it's the perfect time to do it, really, because you haven't got the the responsibility of 
of jobs and this kind of thing so yeah i've got got a year doing it and then getting back to uni when i get back and i mean you can be pretty budget about it too I, i've talked to quite a few cyclists that that can maintain quite a low budget you're not paying for hotels too much and these things right if you're camping and it's, yeah, it's exactly. possible to keep costs down yeah exactly so i, I i'm doing it on like ten dollars a day which isn't isn't too tight even but yeah camp say for europe then i camped like the whole thing, just using warm showers and couch surfing hosts mm -hmm. every once in a while to rejuvenate and, and this kind of stuff. But yeah, you can do it super cheaply, definitely. Well, good for you. That's, uh, that's amazing. I saw in your videos that you were accepted to Oxford and that's the school that just put it on. They, they allowed you to defer for a year. So yeah, I was accepted to Oxford, which is was a pretty exciting thing. But I actually turned it down to because I'm going to go to University College London. Oh, okay. Which, uh, so so yeah, I'm I'm headed to London next year, and UCL, the uni I'm going to, I think, is uh it's the one for me. So, I'm I'm hoping to work in, in biology in the rainforest in the future, and they offer me the best possible uh, okay. start to do that. I think. So you might be back yeah, in Malaysia really, really before you know it. Really excited <laughs> for that. Yeah, hopefully or. Papua New Guinea, something like that. Yeah. We'll, we'll see where life takes me. Oh, that's amazing. Prior to this trip, have you done any long-distance touring or any kind of touring at all? So I had done zero bike tours before this. This is <laughs> literally it. So for my my only practice, really, was a, few, a couple of weeks before me and my sister rode, because I said I was going to do about 50 miles about 80 kilometers a day. Okay. So me and my sister rode 50 miles north to the Peak District, which is a national park in the UK. Okay. While camping there and cycled back the next day, and that was my total. Although for, I have to say that earning all the money for this trip, I did a thing called Deliveroo, which is a food cycle delivery thing, which earned me most most my gosh for surviving this year. So that that, that turned out pretty well in terms of practice. And that was on a bike, yeah, yeah, the bike delivery, or yeah, cycle, cycle, cycle delivering through the UK's UK's winter. But in terms of experience, I think it it worked out really great to be honest to just jump into a big trip because those first few weeks for me were one of the toughest, like the loneliness of it and the the amount of time you actually need to spend in the saddle every day was like a real shock. Like, wow, this is hard and uh, mentally really tough. But then you you push through it because I've got this big goal ahead of me and then you really fall in love with the lifestyle. So Yeah, I think at the start it could be its own type of culture shock even though it's not a culture but the culture of cycling it is a, it is its totally. own different thing and uh, it takes time to get to Yeah, you. definitely. The, the, that lifestyle like uh, I would say it's not for everyone and initially I was like is this really for me because it's like it's quite boring at the start really. It's like it's just you and the road and spinning your legs around and then after you you settle into it you you really realize the beauty of of traveling slowly yeah. the, the little things you pick up from each country and at the end of it that's why you cycle tour because you get a portrait of a country like no, nothing else can really and the, the experiences you get along the way it's worth all the sweat yeah, I think you could probably get a deeper experience if you walked, but then it would take you a decade. So, I mean, it's the, the Viking is definitely, it's, it's that beautiful median. Oh, I've, thought, I've thought a lot about that, but for me, then, the, the bike is the, is, the, is the way of doing it. I've, I've heard in a few little villages, mm -hmm. uh, we'll say in this tiny little Nepalese village, 
they hadn't seen a, a white guy that hadn't stopped there for a few years, but they said there was a guy who walked with a with a trailer <laughs> wow. and pulled all his stuff. But for me, that the bike is the way to go. Just yeah. for because say in a year, the amount of space I've been able to cover is just just awesome. Yeah. And also just that I love I love the bike. It's like an extension of my of my body now. And right, mountain descents. I wouldn't I wouldn't give that away for. Walking, no. absolutely, yeah. Those downhills are pretty epic. Um, what kind of bike are you riding? I'm riding a British bike, it's called a Thorn Raven. And I was lucky enough, so yeah, because I'm 18, I was planning to do the trip on uh, my aluminium city bike, mm-hmm. which wasn't exactly what you call a dream tour, but it's what I had, it was what I was going to do it on. And then, um, yeah, on my 18th birthday. My dad actually gave me his bike, which is this what I'm riding now, the Thorn Raven, which is it's the dream machine. She's my bike's called Solange, and she's she's made for this she's for the long for the long ride steel frame. She can handle all the weight, and she's got a roll-off hub, which is yeah just self-contained. So I've really don't haven't had any troubles. I mean, my brakes broke, for example, but they're they're caliper brakes. So yeah, like. A V brake, sorry, but yeah, you can bodge bodge job fix them pretty easily, and she's still rolling very well. Yeah, I think if uh, you got the Rollhof, I think there's a lot of jealous people out there. Wouldn't matter what you're riding if you had a Rollhof hub. Oh, uh, definitely, definitely, it's a dream piece of equipment. How, how is it? Um, how is it with climbing? Because I mean, I hear that they have quite a big range as well. So I heard that it's it is very good for climbing, but I'd just like to hear some perspective on it because I've never oh, actually spoke to someone. I mean, who has beca- one. Be- because. With the roll-off, you can change through all your gears in like a split second, or even when you're standing still. So, say you are in somewhere like Laos, where the gradients are just ridiculous, and you're going down super steep, and then suddenly you're on this like 20% gradient or whatever. Mm-hmm. You can just instantly switch. You never have to worry about the clinking, clanking noise that you get from like jumping gears and everything. And yeah, just maintenance-wise, it's always smooth. You know, whereas people who've been on the road for a while, you can just hear their gears struggling to mm-hmm. change and I never have that. Also, sometimes, for example, if my visa's running out for a country and I end up hitchhiking, chucking it on the top of a like Indian truck or something, then it's all self-contained and it's just great. But also for city riding, like I said, because you can change instantly. So, yeah, it's awesome. Oh, very nice. Is your bike belt-driven as well or is that chain, just proper chain? It's a, it's a chain. It's a chain. Yeah. I've seen I've seen someone with the belt. I, I haven't looked into much on the the differences between them, but yeah, with mine every few months, I can just spin around the bottom bracket because it actually rotates. It's called an eccentric bottom bracket, mm-hmm. and that tightens up the chain. So I'm on the same chain that I left with, the same cogs, and uh, yeah, you just spin that round to tighten it a bit more. Wow, that's some uh, that's some heavy duty mileage. Oh, literally. Like, I met another guy with a thorn in Hanoi that I, I chased down the street because I saw he was riding a thorn. And um, he, he'd done a, a world tour a few years ago, and he showed me his rear cog from that, and it was just almost circular with with no no kind of dimples from where, where the, the chain set was before. But mine's, mine's doing pretty well. It's doing, doing well. That's amazing. Your ability terms. Can you take us through your tour so far? So you left Leicester, and this is hey, this is really good that I said Leicester properly because I always read it as I'm like, oh, Leicester, yeah, of course. Oh, <laughs> yeah. So, so, so Leicester actually uh, is 
well known in Asia because of their football team, Leicester City. That's right. And so I'm actually wearing my football top right now, and uh, <laughs> it's rich because it's super well known. It's owned by a, a Thai company, King Power. So um, ah. yeah, I re- regularly get shouts of oh, Leicester, Leicester City, but who cares how it's pronounced? Yeah, yeah. It's put us on the map. But yeah, I set off on August the first from from Leicester, headed down through France. Um, across the Alps to to Venice, and then down the Balkans to ex-Yugoslavian countries, Bosnia, for example, one of my absolute favourites. Sarajevo, its capital, is just a beautiful city with like a relaxed ethos, but a real tragic history. Mm-hmm. But um, yeah, definitely visit if you can. I re- really loved it. Then headed down uh, through like Macedonia, Albania as well. Really friendly, great country across Greece, uh, across Turkey, and then I flew to India. Whereabouts did you fly in India? I flew into Delhi. Okay. So I, so I did the north of India, but uh, I think I'll go back to do the, the south, which I've heard is a bit, bit friendly, and the northwest, like Himachal Pradesh and that kind of thing. Looks really awesome. But uh, yeah, I flew into Delhi, which honestly is just the most intense place. A real culture shock, because... Cycling, you, you travel everywhere gradually, you know, mm-hmm. and you see things change. But then, yeah, for flying, you get dropped into a place, and to get dropped into Old Delhi is something else, like the poverty there, and the, just India as a whole is a real crazy place. And then, yeah, I came across North India to, to, to Kathmandu in Nepal, yeah. uh, and then... Myanmar did a big loop around Southeast Asia, okay. the, across to Harlong Bay in the north of Vietnam, across, across Laos. So you went from Myanmar, when did you come through May Sot and then up into... Uh, to yeah, the, to I, I had to go to, to, to May, down to May Sot. I wanted to go directly across, like okay. nearer to Laos, but it's closed. It's a black zone, mm-hmm. forbidden to foreigners. So then I came yeah, into Laos as fast as possible across there, which was super difficult. Did you go from uh, from Mesut? Did you go upwards toward Mesaryang and then and then east, or did you go straight up towards uh, Pai? And I went Chiang Mai? to I went to Chiang Mai. I didn't go to Pai. Okay, so you you went over Lampang, the you went near Doi Lampang, Penang. Chiang Mai. Yeah, yeah. And then and then to Huaizai, the border town. Yeah, and then then across across uh, Laos, which was amazing, but. Crazy difficult roads, really. I've heard the north of Laos, but then uh, just great people and great ruralness after the development of Thailand, and then down Vietnam across Cambodia, um, which yeah, Cambodian food's not bad as well. I have to say, I really liked it. Yeah, some nice then, uh, actually, yeah, yeah, definitely. And I um, just went down uh, down Thailand as well. Met up with some some friends there, which was good because. Coming back to Thailand mm-hmm. after the uh, the less developed countries like Cambodia, Myanmar, and Laos can be a bit of a culture shock in terms of the amount of tourism and stuff there. But yeah, I met up with some with some friends there and really saw the the best that Thailand has to offer. I think nice. really enjoyed it. So now I'm heading. I've got a few months left now, so I'm heading down to Singapore, down uh, Indonesia, and then I'll fly from Bali to Cairns. And my last stretch will be down from Cairns, down the east coast, finishing in Brisbane, where half of my family moved when I was younger oh, to nice. visit them for the for, for the first time. So, should be good. I'm really excited about what I've got left to go. 
What's your plan riding through Malaysia? Have you decided on a route for that yet? Uh, we think... See you later, my friend. <laughs> bye bye. Um, yeah, in terms of Malaysia, I think I'm going to head down the west coast. Although I've heard the east coast has got that more traditional kind of um, Malaysian living, which we're nicer really beaches, nicer in. like yeah, more rural, nicer beaches. That's the east coast. Yeah, mm -hmm. yeah, that's what we're we're considering, but really want to want to see Kuala Lumpur and Georgetown. So we'll have to see how that goes. You could cross over it, from Kuala Lumpur over to Kuantan on the uh, the east. So there's the highway there that goes between KL and Kuantan. So you could cut across oh, and then true. ride the that ride the last half down the the east coast. Yeah. Well, um, in terms of beaches, has the West Coast got got some? The West Coast has some nice beaches in Langkawi. If you cross over there, it's it's, a, it's not far from by boat. It's quite cheap. Um, you could take a boat to Langkawi, ride around Langkawi, mm. and then take another boat to Penang to Georgetown. So that's an option. Um, okay. And then when you're about halfway from Georgetown to KL, there's a little island called Pankor Island, which is not far, like it's cheap to get to, and it's you can wild camp there as well. And um, it's a nice, okay. it's a nice island on the west coast. Okay, so on the mainland, it's there's less in terms of beaches then. Where are there some? Yeah, on the the west coast is less nice beaches. Like they're not as good. Yeah. Oh, actually, I wanted to jump back just a little bit to uh, what were your parents' thoughts and your friends and family's thoughts when you said, <laughs> you know what, I'm going to bike across the world instead of doing a gap year backpacking and just boozing it up what did they what were their thoughts so um yeah at that point they thought i hadn't said i was going to do a gap year or anything they thought i was heading to uni in a in a few months but um yeah i, I pl kind of planned it in secret for a few months so i had the uh, the specifics sorted out i'd got four different jobs so i knew that the money could work out and then i Got my my mum and dad were split up, but I got them sat down on the same sofa, told them what I was gonna do, and uh, yeah, there was a fair bit of shock and a bit of a you'll never do it, mate, no chance. But uh, yeah, then then they saw I was serious about it, and uh, yeah, they they haven't they've they've been pretty like le leaving me to it, you know, in terms of planning it, it's it's been my thing. But yeah, they're they're down for it. They can't really say anything because they did the same to their parents. Uh, okay. They went backpacking around around Africa in the nineties, so so they're like, oh, fair play. <laughs> and yeah, I got my I got my dad to come out. And I I guess in, that in because India. your dad had a nice bike, I'm assuming he is also a, some kind of he's done some touring, so he's probably fairly. Well, supported. so so he so he's um. He likes cycling. He's in like a road cycling club, uh, and he did Lands End to John O'Groats, which is the length of the UK. And so, uh, yeah, I think there, it was that kind of that thought that got him to to get the get this bike. Yeah. But um, I'd, I think in terms of a big tour, he 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 wouldn't have ended up doing one. So he he's he's really happy that I that I have because he's uh he's living vicariously through your experiences here. Exactly, yeah. exactly. Yeah, but uh, yeah, my family are all are all following along a lot. I'm, I talk to them a bit, and my friends they were just like, "What the hell?" Because <laughs> I did the YouTube video announcing it. Yeah, I saw so, that. Yeah, in 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 school they were all like, "I want to do that. How do you even do that?" <laughs> But yeah, it was, it was good. They, they've been very supportive. Can you tell me, um, I, I was looking through your website about the charities. I see that you've chosen three 
charities in particular? Like, why did you choose these charities? And was this something you had chosen before the trip or it came along through the process of the trip? So the three charities I thought a lot about in preparation before the trip. It took me a, a long time to, to decide. But, um, yeah, ultimately these three, I think, are really fighting the the issues I think are, are most important. So there's there's Cool Earth, which is an anti-deforestation charity. Excellent. Um, which, since especially being in Malaysia, the home of palm oil, is an especially poignant thing, really. But yeah, because uh, I I want to go work in the rainforest, but they're being destroyed at mm. an unbelievable rate and replaced by palm oil plantations, for example, mines and things. And uh, yeah, once you once you cut down the forest, that biodiversity ultimately is gone. Like species are being made extinct before we've even discovered them in in a lot of cases. So yeah, I think it's a really important resource to to preserve, as well as the uh, aspect of climate change that mm -hmm. rainforests help help with. And, and one of the other charities called Stand Against Racism and Inequality, because I think Islamophobia is a huge uh, global issue. Really, it's highlighted in the US at the moment but also in the UK I think there's a there's big division with in terms of immigration are living in Leicester which is famed for its cultural diversity and living just outside of the city boundary I've really seen that contrast between uh, people that engage with different ethnic minorities and those that don't and have quite uh, uninformed uh, attitudes towards them in a lot of cases yeah, so yeah. yeah I just think education is the best policy really to encourage unity so yeah th this charity is really doing that and trying to fight hate crime at the same time the, the, the last charity is called the campaign for female education and uh, as you as the name implies they're building schools and education infrastructure mostly in Africa at the moment and um, yeah I think that's that's not only important to kind of endorse that feminist narrative to empower women mm -hmm. but also um, when you educate a woman it empowers those communities economically like they go on to to build businesses to educate their children and also they, they tend to focus on themselves and have like two children for example that they can support financially As rather than to, in yeah. Africa having like 15 children which which is I feel it's the ethical way to control populations which is what the climate change deforestation settlement expansion all that boils down to is a uh, our growing population so yeah that's the that's some of the thinking that's gone into the three charities which you can donate to on my website benleohollis.com and all the information on them if you fancy chucking them a, a fiver is on there I will definitely put a link into the show notes and then people can uh, access directly to your um to your donation that would be page. awesome. Yeah. That would be awesome. Actually, the fact that you're an 18-year-old guy and you've got these thoughts in your head and you're you're really you even have the feminist issues and and about equality and stuff. It's it's just amazing. It's, it's Oh, definitely. But I mean, that's that's really been hit home for me more like on the trip. So so you said like I have I chosen those charities on the trip, which I haven't, but the those choices have really been confirmed on the trip, for example. Mm -hmm. Like with the, the female equality, going through North India was absolutely shocking to me. Like the state of, of gender inequality there. Like uh, in the whole whole time there, one month cycling across the plains of Uttar Pradesh, 
I spoke to one woman, just a, a wife of a guy who welcomed me in, who served me a cup of tea, and she actually said hello back. Oh, wow. But, um, yeah, yeah, you see women, you don't see them in the streets. They're kind of inside inside homes behind windows or far away in the fields. And, yeah, that I really hope that that changes through through the work of NGOs and through a just cultural change in the near future. That's that's interesting because I used to always, like through my experiences in Malaysia, I lived in rural Malaysia for about three years. And um, I, as a teacher, I saw lots of times where the little girls are not coming to school and or they're not being registered. And other teacher would say, like local teachers would say, yeah, I mean, we're in a farming area and a lot of them don't see the value of educating their daughters because... They should be learning to cook and clean because they're just going to be making babies and that is their future. And oh. it was a constant struggle, even in a developed country like Malaysia or almost developed country. I don't know how you want to classify it. But even in Malaysia, that was a constant struggle with the rural um, populations because they just didn't see the value in education. And yeah, it's quite, quite mind-blowing. Yeah, so I'm actually cycling at the moment with my friend Anna. Say hello. Hello. <laughs> Hi, Anna. Anna and uh, yeah, it's, it's it's really great just to just say yesterday where we ate, it was only guys in the the whole restaurant, mm -hmm. and yeah, just have, having us us both here and being like, yeah, girls can cycle too. They can they can have a taste of a adventure, you know. But it's a really great thing, I think. So yeah, we'll, we've just entered Malaysia yesterday, so we have have a lot more to, of it to explore. But yeah, hopefully, uh, you'll you'll change, enjoy Malaysia. Some it's, attitudes it is, on the way. It is really good. <laughs> and in Malaysia, though, too, typically, I mean, during Ramadan, a lot of the women are at home in the afternoons cooking and preparing for the breaking the fast so that's why you might see yeah. more guys out in the early evening and then yeah. later in the evening you might see everybody out uh, visiting friends yeah, yeah, going to yeah. cafes and stuff yeah uh, i'm sure we'll i'm sure we'll see it all later. can you say what has been the most memorable moment on the trip so far if there's any specific thing oh the most memorable moment that's a that's a tough one yeah, okay let me rack let me rack my brains one of my real special moments has been uh, in the northeast India, which is probably one of the, the my favourite regions of the trip. There's a place called Meghalaya, which is um, the rainiest place in the world. Oh officially. yeah. And so uh, yeah, you you cycle up from the baking plains of Assam. You come like into the clouds and everything, which is really a, a very welcome change in terms of temperature. Mm -hmm. But uh, yeah, what what they're really famous for in in this region is they have um, these bridges which are made out of the roots of trees so yeah they've been trained over like decades to grow over the no over way. the valleys and yeah you, you kind of hike down all day down into the valley through the clouds through the torrential rain and we were in the dry season and uh yeah see that see these these things which it, it was an awesome day i was cycling with a french cycle tour called martin at the time and yeah that was a that was a really great, great so you were day. cycling over these root bridges it was so steep there that we couldn't bring our bikes. We had to leave our oh. bikes at the top, the nearest road, and hike down the path to check out these things. But yeah, they, they, they also have a different ethnic group in all the different parts of northeast India. So there was the, the Khasi people, which were just super welcoming. What place was this again in northeast India? What was the name of it? Uh, it's called it's called Meghalaya, is the, the state. So yeah, check it out. You should... All those different states in northeast India are worth a visit for the sheer diversity they have there. So okay. 
check it out. What has been uh, one of the most difficult challenges you've had to overcome throughout this tour? If we're not counting the ridiculously steep gradients of northern Laos in terms of physical challenge, then I would say, as I mentioned earlier, the loneliness of those first few weeks, the, the boredom of like being just you in the road for hours and hours every day. But yeah, ultimately, that was a, a big challenge, but so worth overcoming. To, Did you to ever have that this. feeling in those first few weeks, like, why am I doing this? Or maybe I should just go home or give definitely, up? Definitely. Yeah. Definitely, why am I doing this? Like, why would anyone do this to themselves? Just like cycle all day on their own. Like, what kind of foolish idea? idea is this but and, and you yeah, can only as, listen as to so many can... podcasts before your phone dies yeah. <laughs> <laughs> exactly indeed but yeah you pack a few more power banks get some new albums in and uh, yeah that that solves those problems pretty soon <laughs> yeah yeah what has been a piece of advice that another traveler has given you that you found to be invaluable i mean as an 18 year old especially you're just growing into it so i'm sure you've met some amazing people and had some uh, amazing uh, advice so in Northern Laos that I was just referencing, I met Rule and Esther, who are pretty much the cycle touring masters. Oh, yeah. They did the first bicycle tour 26 years ago. They're, they're from the Netherlands as well, like the home of cycling, I think. And uh, yeah, they, they just had it all nailed, really. So uh, just cycling with them for a few weeks was a real like learning experience. I, I, I learned so many different things, but just traveling light. I think yeah. really was was something I got from them. Although I'm, I'm not not too bad in in that that type of thing. But how many how many kilos is your luggage or your, your equipment? Uh, well, when I left, it was heavy. It was like twenty eight or something. Yeah, I think it was like twenty eight mm -hmm. kilos of baggage. Okay. Um, plus plus my bike, which is about twenty kilos, mm -hmm. massive and steel. Um, yeah, I've I've lost some of that now because I'm in such hot climates, and I've I've discarded a lot of stuff. But yeah, I've, I've made it a bit my setup a bit lighter. That's good. It's uh it's one of those things you can't explain to somebody. I've I've gone for travels and stuff and little bike tours, and I've tried to explain that to people. It's like, oh, you need to, you just can't explain to people what they need to cut out until they learn it for themselves. So it's yeah. Uh, Exactly, and you can just go without so often, and it's fine. Do you have any regrets? No, I'm gonna go with a big fat no. I'd say my general, my general mindset in life is if I have any regrets, I quickly convince myself that it was the best option to go with. So uh, I'm gonna go with no. Everything has gone the best it possibly could. <laughs> oh, that's fantastic. I'm really envious of your trip. Never done a year-long bike tour yet, but it is easier when yeah. you're young. It's something I wish I would have done when I was a teenager, or early twenties, for that matter. It wouldn't matter, but um, <laughs> uh, but if you can go for it, but obviously, obviously you have probably have more responsibility now. But you can find your own adventures wherever. I'm sure. <laughs> exactly. That's why I try to reaffirm all the time: is that it, it doesn't. It's not about the time. It's not about the timeline. It's just about what you do with your time. So. Exactly. Whether it's a short tour or summer long tours, that kind of thing. You can find adventure. I think just, I think the one big thing I've learned is not being afraid to approach people. Because at the start in Europe, I was wild camping, like hiding myself, you know, and like it really 
not asking for help. Whereas in Asia, I realised that people are just so nice. Like you can approach people, you can ask people, mm -hmm. can I sleep in your garden or next to your house, and it'll end up in positive experiences. Like so, so, so often. Yeah, so. and the pagodas and the mosques and stuff, even in Malaysia, like mosques, Thailand pagodas, exactly. they're Definitely. generally pretty welcoming. So, would you do you have For any sure. advice that you would give to other young? wannabe bike tours or maybe potential bike tourists to all the young bicycle tours out there i would say just have confidence and yeah go for it speak to people take lots of photos <laughs> because yeah photos i feel like that's the only thing i'm actually doing really on this trip is producing a few a few nice images that yeah. i can remember it about <laughs> Yeah, you've taken some really good, some of your photos are very, very good on Instagram. I really enjoyed looking at them. Oh, thank you. Thank you very much. All right. Well, Ben, not going to hold you up any longer. Thank you so much for giving me some of your time. I wish you all the best on the remainder of your trip. And I hope you have an excellent reunion with family that you haven't seen in ages. And, Definitely. Uh, enjoy Ramadan in Malaysia. The night markets and the food markets are amazing. Oh. So it's the time of the year to oh. be there. Exactly. Thanks so much for having me, man. And uh, yeah, I look forward to listening to some of the other bike tour adventures that you'll, that you'll be releasing before too long. I'm yeah, sure. they'll be Thanks coming out very soon. Great. Thanks again. You're welcome. Thank you, man. Cheers. Bye-bye. Cheers. Bye. Hello again, everybody. I hope you enjoyed my conversation with Ben. I think it's really great that young people are getting out there and they're doing it. And it's also quite amazing that how involved young people are with what's going on in the world, right? Um, I feel like my generation just didn't do enough. And the two generations before us, well, I mean, they just destroyed the world. So it's on us and the next generation down, which is our guys like Ben Hollis, to make that change. And I think it's really great that he's 18. He's out there. He's doing it. And I wish him all the best with his fundraising and his upcoming university days. In next week's episode, I'm really excited to to present to you guys a girl by the name of Mariel Yoring. She's from a small northern town in Sweden, and she just grew up on bikes. Although she doesn't do these big one, two-year bike tours, she's done some pretty epic rides, and we're going to talk all about that, how she's circumnavigated Australia. She cycled across the U.S. and then also north to south. She's crossed New Zealand, and she's planning a trip in Canada. So, guys, tune in, hear her story. She talks about empowering women to, uh, to get biking and do touring, even if you're solo, and then gives some tips about how to be careful. So, enjoy the show. See you guys in a week. I want to end the show by thanking all my listeners once again for the emails and comments I regularly receive from you. It really helps motivate me and keep me going with this project and to continue sharing people's amazing stories. If you have questions or comments, you can email me at bike at bikepackadventures.ca or go to bikepackadventures.ca and shoot me a message through the contact form. You can also check out the webpage for past podcast episodes, bikepacking routes throughout Canada, blog posts, videos, and touring tips. Lastly, I'd like to once again thank all the individuals and companies that are supporting the podcast. If you are enjoying the show and like what I'm doing, you can become one of my show supporters by going to patreon.com slash bikepackadventures. And for just a few dollars a month, you can help keep this show going. 
You can also help out by sending a one-time donation through PayPal. This money all goes back into the podcast, help me to cover the costs associated with running the show, buy new equipment when necessary, and produce the high-quality content that you've become accustomed to. Much appreciated, and keep on pedaling.